Thank you for listening to the Wealth Amplifier podcast. As a reminder, the goal of this podcast is to amplify a person, topic, or idea. On some episodes, members of the Amplius team will discuss a topic or idea. And on other episodes, we will invite an outside guest that has some particular insights or expertise. We really hope you enjoy the show. And like always with Amplius, if you have suggestions as to how we can make things better, please let us know. As a reminder, nothing on this episode should be taken as legal, tax, or investment advice. Tax, legal, and investment advice topics should be discussed one-on-one with the appropriate advisor. Thank you. Welcome to episode number seven of the Wealth Amplifier. This is Patrick Swift speaking. I'm joined by my colleagues, Mr. Aaron Marks and Matt Liebman. How are we doing, gentlemen? Doing fine. Happy Tuesday. Doing well. Appreciate you asking. Thanks for for having me. (laughs) Good to be back. Good to be back with you guys. Um, Took the, I guess it's a two month hiatus. We did an interview uh, on our last last uh, episode, so we're back to the three of us um, for for this month. Um, So, topic today. So, topic is something that uh, is actually the brainchild of Aaron Marks. So, I'll let him switch it over to him in a second here. The idea is really something that we've experienced in working with clients over the years in that oftentimes um, people need to save money for a variety of goals to state the very obvious. And with, when it comes to account configuration, you need to think of your accounts in some cases as a one way street, whereas you're putting money into it and you're not planning to make withdrawals from that account back to you for hopefully many, many, many years. And it's a concept that works when it comes to certain accounts, and it's harder for other accounts. So, so I'll I'll just pre- I'll just preface or prime it up that way. But uh, Aaron, why don't you kind of speak to what what why you wrote the article? I know you wrote an article about it. Tell us why you know it, it was something that you thought was important to, to amplify. Appreciate that. So um, we do a monthly newsletter, as most of you know, and we always put in different topics, you know, actionable planning items. And uh, right at the end of the year, beginning of the year, I said, hey, look, it's a good idea to pick a number that you want to be able to save over the course of the year. Um, You know, I'm going to save $10,000 a month, $50,000 for the year, whatever it happens to be for you, and and set that goal and try to keep yourself to it. And and that led to a couple conversations with um, clients and internally, and it spun forward into this article I wrote that said, okay, it's not just about setting that investment goal. It's about, number one, keeping with it, having the money going into account that is invested properly. But it's also putting the money into that account. And this is what I do personally. And it's almost like I lock the key, lock the door and throw away the key to that account. I don't want access to it. Money's going in and it's not coming out. And it could be, um, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, who knows? But I want it gone and out of sight and out of mind. I want money going in automatically, like a 401k often would. You know, you, you set your you know 10% contribution for the year. The money never hits your bank account for your paycheck. It goes directly into the 401k. Um, same sort of thing here. Set it off on its own. Don't look at it. Um, it works for me. It works for a lot of people. And, and I guess the, the crux of it here is why doesn't it work for everybody? And why don't 
Why doesn't everybody take advantage of an account like that? And just to clarify, Aaron, you're talking about not a 401k or not an IRA. This would be something like a, what do you, they've got different names, but a, a non-retirement account, a brokerage account, a joint account, an individual account. That's what you're talking about. Something that you technically could access if you needed to without any penalties or uh, early withdrawals, correct? Absolutely. Um, dollars that you have in your bank account post-tax after 401k contributions and all the obligations that you need to make. And look, you want that account that is liquid and accessible for the emergency fund, the six, nine, 12 months of cash and conservative investments that you want in case things go wrong. I get that. But once that is funded, correct. An individual, a brokerage, a joint account, whatever, whatever you want to call it, the money is fully accessible. It's liquid. We can be nimble with it. But mentally, don't look at it. Block it out like it doesn't exist. And and um, again, t t turn the engine on and lay a brick on the gas and get out of the car and let it go. As long as somebody's got their hand on the wheel <laughs> for you, that, that is key. Uh, just get out of the way and lock the doors. Uh, good metaphor choice. Um, uh Picturing like Thelma and Louise here, uh, but um, as far as uh, as far as you mentioned, so you said like essentially what gets in the way of that, you know, was one one of the topics. So I think there are a couple things. One is the word that Pat used a minute ago, penalty. Generally speaking, that one way street account that you're trying to create outside of the retirement account, there really isn't much of any penalty to take that money sooner. So you don't have that deterrent that you naturally do with a retirement account. It doesn't mean, obviously, it's a great idea you should do it. I'm trying to think of putting myself in the shoes of somebody who knows if they always know that they can get that money. How do you get over that? How, how do you get people, you know, sort of beyond that to uh, whether it's yourself or others to sort of get over that hurdle? Because there is no the government's not helping you here. They're not saying effectively there's a 10 percent penalty plus taxes if you take it out, which is the case for early withdrawals from uh, 401ks. I, you know, I do think about the start of this conversation. I mentioned the that newsletter and setting the goal. And if you can be competitive about it, I'm going to set this goal. And if I don't meet that goal, like, I don't know what the punishment is, but be competitive with yourself. Like, I'm going to save $100,000 this year. Do mm -hmm. it. And, and check yourself every quarter. Hundred thousand is the goal, and a quarter later, I've saved twenty thousand. I say, "Great, all right, I got up it." Or you know, I've I've done better. Great, I'll reward myself by doing something else. But setting that goal early on and and watching it. So that's a so Pat, uh, question to you on that uh, as the uh, director of wealth planning here. How much planning do you think needs to go into determining that goal? Like, is it just pick a round number and stick with it, or is it let's look at our budget and come up with a number? Yeah, good question. Um, <clears throat> I think it's I think it's twofold. I, I talk to clients, and I think we do a lot of this work internally. That I think is part <clears throat> fundamental financial planning rationale and part behavioral rationale. <clears throat> I talk to clients about building blocks often. Where hey, if you you're going to need money from a cash flow standpoint, and uh, in, in, in sort of a binary um, twofold way, you're either going to need it in the future or you need it. Shorter than that. So like long-term or short-term, you need money in the future. Long-term, you need money in the future, but more on a short-term basis. And if you think of the long-term side of, if you were to like do a, like a diagram of these like circles, your long-term account configurations should be things like 
your 401k, an IRA, a Roth IRA, profit sharing plan, employer accounts that you're saving money to. Those are the ones that we were just talking about. They have that like carrot and stick mentality built into them because if you pull money out before a certain age, you're going to get taxed on it. You're going to get penalized on it. There's all these like red flashing red lights to not to not pull from <clears throat> in the short term bucket. Those are the accounts again building blocks. I always tell clients, hey, once we've got a a cash flow plan configured, you're going to have an emergency savings fund, which is scientifically available to to create, hey, this is the amount that you need based on what you're spending every month in an emergency savings fund at these stages of your life. Then pretty simple, build on any other short-term goals. Hey, I want to buy a car in three years. I want to buy a house in five years. I want to buy anything that I would call shorter than five years would be in your short-term goals. Then beyond that, if you're doing like, what do they call those where you got two circles and they overlap? Venn diagram. Venn diagram. So here's, here. I think this is why it's hard. The Venn diagram that becomes after that, there's a third account usually. So if you got your emergency savings, you got your short term, maybe that's all one account. Then you have a long-term saving. This is the invest long-term one-way investment savings account that Aaron's referencing. That kind of sits in the middle because it's accessible, but it really should be long-term but it's slightly shorter and you have less parameters around withdrawing that money. So in terms of coming up with the amounts, like the building blocks are easy. Like it's a pretty easy process to follow and how you should be configuring your accounts. The dollar amount that you should be saving is based on more kind of retirement planning stuff. But um, once you've got that number to Aaron's point, it's, it's about sticking to it. And I think what we do here is I try to set up a separate account for that in a lot of cases for clients where they're going to have almost two accounts with us for the non-retirement brokerage style assets, where one is going to be probably an emergency savings and short-term goal type of account, and the other is going to be a long-term. And in theory, in practice, that could be one account, but I think psychologically it helps people to just have a an accounting of funds in two separate places. And it really speaks to Aaron's whole theory of like, this is your one-way investment tree. Money is not supposed to come out of this account. So, so if you want to remove the the bad decision making and the bad habits out of all of this, I think it's critical um, to do a couple things. Most important, I think, is setting up the auto contributions because as humans, we get busy. You, you know, we talk to people and we say, "Okay, you want to save X number of dollars throughout the year? Uh, let's set it up. Five thousand dollars every month. It's going in from your paycheck first of the month." To your investment account, and then they'd say, "Ah, oh, you know, like I'll, I'll, next month I'll see what what cash I have, and then and then I'll put it in." We all know how that go, that goes, right? We've all had those conversations, and some people could do it, and some people can say discipline, but the vast majority cannot. So, setting up the auto uh, contribution is critical because a lot of times when we when we do financial planning, you know, a client could make pick a number two hundred fifty thousand dollars over the course of the year. And we'll talk about, okay, what are your goals? How much do you want to be able to spend? And they might say, you know, all in with the mortgage and travel and kids and eating and vacations, $75,000. I say, okay, I know you're making two fifty, dollars We've got to take taxes out of that and 401k contributions and medical. And I want to be able to spend seventy-five. dollars And we say, okay, well, how much are you saving in a given month? Oh, I'm saving $1,000 a month. Okay, well, where's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a gap there between the seventy-five that you're spending and what should be left over theoretically should be saved. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times it's not because when the money's in your account and it doesn't automatically go in, down that one way street, guess what happens to it? Gets spent pretty quickly. 
Yeah, you got to pay yourself first. What do you think, Matt? Well, the first thing I'd say is do not renovate a home. Uh, that's what I am doing right now. And it really throws a, uh, a wrench into uh, all savings plans. Uh, so, no, I mean, uh, anybody that's in the uh, uh, construction design or architecture industry, uh, I wish you all well. But, uh, but, but that's one, one thing to avoid is, uh, is those, uh, those big ticket expenditures that, that right now feel a bit like a bottomless pit. But, uh, but back to our conversation, uh, away from my own therapy session here, um, I, I, I do think um, one thing I, I contemplate on that is which number are you solving for? And I'm curious, Pat, for your thoughts on this, in that you said pay yourself first. So is it really like Aaron said, you know, make 250 after taxes, call it 150. Uh, I, I'm solving that I spend 75, so I want to save 75. Or am I solving for here's how much I want to save, and then I'm just going to have to spend what's left? Like, w which side do you find to be more effective, or does it depend? It's a good question. <clears throat> I think there's there's like there's um, credence to both, and there needs to be. That's why I think cash flow planning as a fun foundational piece of a financial plan is like the first thing that anyone needs to do because you need to understand and have honest foresight or, or I guess insight, I should say, into what your monthly and annual cash flow is. Because I, I find really most people just don't know that as simple as it is. They know like maybe what they're invested in. They know that they have their will done. They know that they give their taxes to the CPA. They know that they have a life insurance policy, but they literally don't know what money is coming in and out of their accounts on a monthly basis. So as as simple as that seems, it's complicated. It's hard for people to do. I think what we always have done, I, the way I <clears throat> prefer to do things is when you build out that cash flow plan, you're going to find out as long as you get honest information, um, what the sort of net leftover cash flow is for someone's budget. So I, when we're going through things with a client, I, I try to ask them as honestly as possible, okay, what are your fixed costs? Like Aaron said, so let's work through the mortgage. Let's work through the property taxes. Let's work through your insurance premiums, things that you know you're paying every single month or whatever the case is. And they're coming out of the account. Those are easy to figure out. And then I'll usually, because we we work with people, this is what we do all day long. I keep going. I say, all right, well, what do you spend on vacations each year? And how much is that going to be? And what kind of miscellaneous home renovation projects are you going to have this year? Which we build in for that. All those kinds of things. You can get as honest as possible. And then there's certainly a, an about face moment, I think, when you look at the results of that analysis. And in a lot of cases for clients, we see, oh, great, like you're in really good shape for retirement. 10 years from now, you're going to have X amount of dollars under these projection, pr projected scenarios. Why is that? And it's usually because there's a net cash flow column that's saying, hey, you've got $30,000 left over, $40,000 left over, $50,000 left over. And that's the about face moment where you have to sit there with the client and say, so did you did you add thirty thousand dollars to your investments last year? Because that's what this plan is saying, and it's actually saying that we're growing it each year. So I always use that kind of long winded way of answering your question, Matt, as the about face moment to figure out <clears throat> where are we at, right? So if this is actually what you're spending, I think this is doable, and you should, could keep living your lifestyle. But let's make sure and let's use that as our starting place. Going back to what Aaron was saying. Say it's $30,000, let's divide that by 12 and let's set up an auto contribution. And then we know that we're on track with our plan. If it's a deficit, that's a different discussion, right? Uh, we need to figure out what you're spending too much money on at this point. But um, 
that's at least some of the math and modeling that I try to use to help people figure it out and then have a game plan and an attack plan that's logical. And look, Matt showed you the human element. We all plan until you want to renovate the house. You want to go on vacation. We're all people. We're all, we all have emotions and feelings and it's the keeping up with the Joneses. And it's, it's tough not to just spend, spend, spend. But um, again, it's critical to have that plan. <laughs> have somebody to keep you accountable, right? It, 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 if you have to do it on your own, it's tough. So we say to people a lot of times, client, like, who do you have in your life that you can talk to about finances? Okay, your significant other, your friends, your family, but like really, really getting into the details. And who's going to keep you accountable? Because even if you're talking to your, your family and friends, you say, okay, I want to save $100,000 this year. No one's keeping tabs on you. No one's keeping up on you. So again, you know, that's why financial advisors forget the performance and the tax efficiencies and this and that. It's just having somebody to keep you accountable and having you do the things that you know you should be doing already, but sometimes when you're left to your own devices, you don't do them. Yeah. Me included, everybody included. So let's flip this on its head for a minute. And uh, uh, just curious what you, what you think on this. A number of our listeners are already retired or soon to be retired. I don't know if it, what percent, uh, but you know, a significant portion. So the, the days at that point of the one-way street, uh, you know, unfortunately, they might be changing the direction of that one-way street now. You know, money's going to start uh, going out. So how do you think of fitting this into that framework? What should our retirees, whether or, or people that are closer to that that are listening, what should they think about this topic? Good. Good question. I think uh, <clears throat> I was going to even zoom this out a little bit too, because I think it relates directly to what you just asked, Matt, is why, why do you need to save money outside of your 401ks and your IRAs and, and all these accounts that are, I think, designated for retirement? And that's why people think, okay, look, if I'm hitting my 401k limit, I'm hitting my IRA limit, I'm probably good. I think that's unfortunately the pervasive, maybe sort of ignorant thought that 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 goes on is uh, it's because you're probably, you're probably going to need supplemental money. Right. And once you do those cash flow plans, to Matt's point, people who are retired, your 401k savings, you're just hitting that every year. You're probably going to need a lot more than that. Sorry, sticker, you know, sticker shock here. Guess what? You probably need to save a lot more money than just just what's going into the 401k for a lot of people who want to live a comfortable, leisure, happy retirement. Um, and I think where it flips is when you get to retirement, the, the other sort of benefit of having done the planning and have the savings that are in sort of non-retirement accounts outside your 401ks and, and whatnot is the best point is, is having a, like a good, really sound withdrawal strategy, having tax diversification around where you're withdrawing money from. So I think it's the same, it's the same ideology, the same theories here for someone who's retired and now they're the one way street has reversed. They're withdrawing money from it. You still, I, we still, I think use the, the same building block approach, your emergency savings fund, your short-term goals in retirement, those are still going to be one bucket. And you're probably going to need to plan for those slightly differently than when you had income on its way in every single month. And then you're still going to have a whole bunch of money in retirement that you need to grow <clears throat> for probably the same expenses, but 10 years from now, 15 years from now. Another thing I'll add to that is, um, back to Patrick, what you said, budgeting is key. You want to figure out what, how much you want to spend and, and build some buffers into it. You know, I want to spend $12,000 a month when I retire. But you know what? Let's just bump it up to 14 or 15 a month because I, I want to enjoy. So, look, some people say I want $5 million left at age 95, 10 million, whatever that number is to go to uh, beneficiaries and, and um 
charitable organizations and all that sort of stuff. And some people say, I want to bounce that last check. You know, I, I either don't have kids or I don't care about the kids, whatever. We, we hear it all. Um, but what I'd tell you is start with what the desired um, expenses are, what the budget is. Don't let, because I've seen this a handful of times, don't let what can be spent. Okay, we do a financial plan client. You can spend $20,000 a month. And then the client say, okay, great. I'm going to go spend that 20. If really they only needed to spend 12 to live their lifestyle and enjoy and all that sort of stuff, it's okay to now go from 12 to 15 to 17. But don't hear, I can spend 20. Let's start spending. Because as we all know, stuff happens. Markets go crazy. Emergencies happen. Uh, medical. You, you never know what happens. So you don't want to hear, oh, okay, I can spend this number and let's take it to the edge and, and do it. And a lot of times it will work with prudent management, but you just don't want to push it too much. So um, living within your means and budgeting, let that be the driver of how much you're spending, not what you can spend based on a portfolio value. I think that's important too. For sure. You got to build in room for error. Right. We talk about you know bumpers in your retirement spending, probably a, a ceiling and a floor. And a lot of times you're going to end up sort of in the middle. But <clears throat> I think clients understanding like, hey, this is the maximum amount you can spend. You probably shouldn't hit that every single year kind of thing. But having those like those bumpers are are important so that people have a parameter around their lifestyle. But it all starts with saving well and understanding why you need to be saving and, and where it's going. So again, I, let's go back to the psychology on this whole thing. Why is it hard? Like, why is it so difficult? I know we talked about it a little bit, but I'll give some examples, right? Um, you have to pay your mortgage every month for those who have it, right? If you don't, what happens? You foreclose on your house. Maybe that's an extreme example. You don't have that same stick when you're not saving to your own investments. Another one, here's the only, <laughs> I should, not to reveal our cards too much. Here's the only reason I might favor using a whole life or a universal life insurance policy for retirement savings because I'm not generally a huge fan of that strategy, although it can work for in, in a lot of, in some cases, is if you've taken out an insurance policy that you're saving money into, meaning it's building cash value for you, hopefully those savings will bear great results for you down the line. Guess what? The reason why is because if you didn't pay your premium every month, the, the policy would elapse. You would have had to re, re, renegotiate some things with your policy or change your benefits and that kind of thing. So there's a another that's another example of a built-in stick that if you don't pay it, you're not going to have the savings. So there's a you know, there's a penalty there. So what else? Like why like why can't the framework be on your own investments. There's no stick. Like, wh how do you get a stick to keep you saving or a carrot? Either one. It's it's hard. I mean, you almost have to. Life gets in the way, but you almost have to trick yourself in a way. Like Aaron was mentioning with the self competition. You know, uh, it, it, not to go on like a, a third rail topic here, but like. You know, I, I've used this analogy uh, or metaphor before. Uh, everybody knows, roughly speaking, what you have to do to stay in shape and lose weight. And most people don't do it. Like th th there's just uh, uh, it's just hard sometimes. What do they say? Like businesses are 10 uh, percent idea, 90 percent execution. Execution's hard. Uh, and, and so I, I, I do think uh, everybody's going to be different. But you got to find your own sort of uh, uh, penalty or reward uh, for, for doing it to get there. <laughs> As Aaron said, get the help of an advisor to uh, provide that for you. Good point, Aaron. Why don't you 
Why don't you take us home on this one? Well, that just hit me right there, Matt. I, Pat, you said, hey, let's go to Whole Foods. I want to eat healthy today. And I said, all right, I'll go with you. And I go to the salad bar and then I saw the you know, the Asian fried chicken. And then I was like, Ooh, that looks good too. And I put that in. So yeah, it's tough. It's not easy. So, so look, the, the message here is it's hard. It, we're all humans. It's hard to remove the emotion of wanting to spend and keeping up with your friends, but mentally make that goal. I'm going to say, save this amount over the course of the year. And I'm not going to do it manually by, you know, clicking the button, send $5,000 to account X from account Y, set it up automatically first of the year, uh, every single month, those dollars are going it's, and make it a competition and give yourself a reward. You know, if I do this for six months, a year, great. I, I, I'm going to allow myself to go on that extra vacation, buy my kids this extra toy, whatever it happens to be. And, you know, make it a competition. I think that would be helpful. All right. So let's uh, shift gears. Uh, do you have any headlines there, Aaron, that we should talk about? So, so we did this internally a while back uh, when we were, we were thinking about doing a podcast and we, we never broadcasted this uh, initial episode, but um, on a whim, I said, look, we, we all get random questions, not random questions, just like questions that we're not expecting from, from clients all the time. We make a call, hey, client, how's you, how you doing? What's going on? And they say, you know what? I heard this thing. What do you think? And we've got to be able to react. And we, I think we're good at that. So what I figured I would do, and, and Pat and Matt don't know the topics that I'm going to bring up. I'm going to go to a couple of news sites. I'm going to try to keep it out of politics vein and things like that. But a couple um, uh, in the news items, read them the headline. I'll give you a little narrative beyond the headline of what's going on and get your guys' reaction. And we can have a quick conversation. We'll make it quick hitting so we can do two, three, four of these. But the first one, I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, um, it was an opinion uh piece in the Wall Street Journal headline, stop telling everyone what you do for a living. I saw that. I didn't read it. I saw it, but I didn't read it. Matt, yeah. did, did you read it? I saw the headline. Uh, some, as you probably know, some uh, uh, people that we work closely with at another firm posted it on LinkedIn, uh, which, is, which is why I saw it. So to let you guys get your thoughts together, I thought it was interesting because, you know, we always talk about as a financial advisor, a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, you know, how do you say what it is that you do and have people be interested in it? And I think the reality is people aren't really interested in what you do. <laughs> We're interested so we could be like, uh, you know, in competition with the other. Do I do better than this person, worse than the other person? But don't try. To, I think what they're saying in this article is don't try to tell somebody what you do. Hey, I'm in wealth management just for the ability to get them as a client. If you want to connect with them as a person, you want to go have a good time, just learn about the person. Don't just start the conversation with like, oh, what's your son's name? Great. Well, what do you do for a living? You know, have a more genuine conversation. It's like talking about the weather. And anybody right. can do that. Uh, yeah, no, I find, and maybe it's because in our business, you know, from the time you get into this business, you're trained to ask people questions and become a bit of a conversationalist. And I would think there's some self-selection that people that get into the business have some natural skills in that area. That I find I am rarely sharing what I do unless someone prize, but I'm always asking people and like trying to dive into like what they're doing at their work. And I'm, I don't even know why. I just find it like, uh, so, so I, I think it would be hard for me for this to not be a topic, but I do find, uh, it's weird. I find it a little off-putting for me or when others just immediately share. Uh, but I don't, meanwhile, I ask probing questions all the time, just as by, by habit. <clears throat> it's a good, 
point. I actually, similarly, I find it kind of obnoxious when people initially ask, like I'm meeting for someone for the first time and like within their first three questions, <laughs> like, what do you do for a living? Unless you're like at a networking event where it's totally contextual. I'm kind of like, I don't like, I, I just, it's a little off putting to me. Cause I'm just like, I don't know, like, let's talk about some other stuff about, I don't know. Let's find some common ground. I, I don't know. Yeah, and for um, clarification, just just so nobody thinks that Pat finds me off-putting, uh, it's <laughs> rare. It's rare that I'm asking strangers what they do for a living. It's more like when I know what somebody does, like a doctor or something. I'll ask them, like, "So what's going on? I heard about this thing. I I tend to okay. find relevant." Being inquisitive, yeah, having a conversation. Yeah, well, because then you're taking an interest in like their their life, their career. That's a far better way to have a conversation with somebody, in my opinion. Yeah. All right, so this one maybe could be a polarizing one, depending on your opinion. But the t- the title uh, of the article here: Social Security is in the worst, in quote, worst public service crisis in memory. Labor union says may, uh, what it may take for services to improve. So, curious on your thoughts. Uh, you know, they talk about if you need to call into Social Security, you're, it says a half an hour is the whole time. My gosh, I wish it was only a half an hour. From from the horror stories I hear, you know one, two, three, four hours you have to wait. So th- there's that part of this topic, but also what do you guys think social security looks like in the future? You know, the 2033 or whatever, there's a deficit or, you know, there's a deficit already, you know, it's unfunded <laughs> at that point. What are your guys' feelings? Pat, I'll let you uh, lead the way there. Matt will have much, a much better like, like policy answer, I would think, because he's, <laughs> he's, because he's smart like that. So I- I'll let him like touch on the technicals because I trust, trust his opinion. I always tell people, I mean, I'm a bit of an optimist with things like this. Um, I can't imagine a American society in which there's just no federal retirement system at all, which is, I think like the worst case emergency scenario that a lot of people read into is like, social security is going bankrupt. Like I, I, I have a hard time believing that at some point in the future, there's just nothing, um, available for, for anyone. Um, more than likely, and maybe that Matt, maybe not to steal your thunder, you, you can touch on some of this. Or, um, they'll, I, and I actually would be in favor personally of some of these things is they'll just change who's paying into it. Maybe there's no cap on certain earnings. So people, there's more dollars actually going into Social Security. That seems like it would be a pretty easy fix. And for those who have no idea what we're talking about, right now, as it has been for many years, there's a cap on the amount of taxes you pay into Social Security. So last year it was, the first one hundred and forty-seven thousand dollars of your of your earnings went to Social Security. Then then they stopped taking the FICA taxes out of your. But you still pay into Medicare, but that's separate. So pretty easy fix. A lot of people in America make more than one hundred and forty-seven. I think this year it's one sixty-three. So you just, just keep taxing them all the way up to infinity, and then that would solve for some of this. Um, but I'll stop there, Matt. Curious for your thoughts. So I put it in the same category as most of these topics around government spending and the fact that we have unfunded liabilities as a country and monster deficits and and all of that. And and they're really only three ways out of of these things as a society. One is to raise taxes, like Pat mentioned, which generally is reasonably unpopular, but there might be some raising of taxes. But but I also think I get too political here. But uh, with the size of bills we have, this whole idea of like just tax the rich a little more. Like you'll run out of rich people before you run out of bills. Like our bills are too big to solve that way. So it doesn't mean it can't be part of the solution, but it's not gonna be the, the, the full solution. The other is to cut benefits, which is even more unpopular. Uh, and, and we generally 
uh, don't do that as a society. We, we, we tend to add benefits, not cut them, but, but that could be a slight part of the solution. But frankly, the, the third solution is to sort of pay people back with cheaper dollars. What I mean by that is inflate our way out of this, print money. Uh, that's what we've generally done in recent years uh, to a lot of fiscal challenges. And, and I'm not, I don't mean to say that in a cavalier or glib way that it's easy because it, it has a whole host of problems, which we are experiencing now from some of the COVID uh, government spending. But if I had to guess which direction we go of those three, I think that'll be the biggest part of the pie chart, uh, of, you know, of sort of inflating our way out of this. Um, and uh, it's not very, very optimistic view, but, but I think it is more likely than just cutting the program or yanking taxes way higher. So I've got a handful of others, but I think we're, we're sort of running long on time. So I'll do one last one, a little bit on the lighter side of things. And Matt, probably more up your alley than others. Um, Wall Street Journal, the blockbuster trade that doomed the Dallas Mavericks. Ah, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving have scored in droves as the team hoped they would in a mid-season deal. It's everything else that is the problem. So what, what, what's going on there? Well, a couple things. Number one, to win basketball games, you have to be good on both offense and defense. And they are like abysmal on defense. Uh, uh, they, they both are, let's say, lack some skills on defense and lack some desire on defense. Um, they, they depleted a lot of the role players that were good on defense. And I, I, I'll call it what it is. I, I am not in any way, shape, or form a Kyrie Irving fan. Forget the politics and that side of it and the controversy. We won't wait into that. We're trying to keep it light. Just on a basketball basis, uh, show me the teams that he's made better in his career. So, yeah. So that's your point. I, I, I'll give this one a little, uh, make it easier on Pat, convert it into just a broad sports topic. Does it become that culture is key, right? It's not that you have the best players all the time, but you've got to have the fit, whether it's in business or sports or hockey or baseball or basketball. I mean, that, I didn't even read the whole article, but just the headline, that's what I'm reading. To Matt's point, where has he ever won? And, he, you know, with LeBron and all that stuff in Cleveland. But LeBron um, could win a title with you. I mean, that, that is right. I, I don't take offense to that. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> As a hockey guy who was – more passion than skill in my whole career. It's all about the culture. You gotta, you gotta have the right mix of people in the locker room, whether that's in business or in sports. I think that's far more important than the, than the high talent egos that cause things to go the other way oftentimes. Um, so why don't we finish up here? But before we do, since we made it a thing last couple episodes, what's going on in your guys' personal lives? Like what's, uh, you guys watching any good shows? And again, I know Matt just got back. You guys both had good vacations recently. I'll share actually right before we jumped on huge New Jersey Devils fan. First time they're going to be back in the playoffs since 2018 and very excited about it. Tickets went on sale and they're insanely expensive, but I still bought them. So going back to our whole conversation today, got to make sure I save my money for the month first and then buy the tickets, which is what I'm doing. But excited about that next week, NHL playoffs. Let's go. Matt? Um, just uh, as Pat alluded to, just got back from uh, nine days in Israel, uh, which was a uh, fascinating and, and, and amazing trip. And I'll share one anecdote uh, that, that I learned uh, at, a, uh, at a dinner with a, uh, with, with a biotech executive uh, in, in Israel. Uh, essentially, if you, if you know any of the stats, effectively, pretty small country, but they punch way above their weight when it comes to publicly listed companies on the NASDAQ private companies at a billion dollar valuation, just 
absurdly high percentages given the size of the country. So I asked the guy who I figured was well positioned to answer, what's the difference? So like, why are, why are you able to do that as a country? I thought it was a good answer. And he's just like, we always want new things. We always want to try better things and make life better. Uh, and and we're, 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 we, we kind of view complacency as the enemy. Uh, so, so we're always then designing products to help other people make lives better. And that's technology and biotech. And it was a simple answer, but I thought a good one. So that was my trip uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. So um, I have uh, two kids, as most of you know. Uh, my son just turned nine and my daughter uh, six and a half, soon to be seven this summer. And, you know, you, you always hear about other parents with young kids who go into, um, they, you've got all the activities. Not, we've had that for a few years. We always hear about, you know, it is just nonstop running. And my son um, just started to play on the travel baseball team. And you always hear the stories of, man, it, it is your life. And I can just see the way it's going, the way it's starting. Not in a bad way, but it's exciting to see, you know, he's making friends on the team. You start to travel, but it's not just once or twice a week. I mean, it is two days of practice. It is two games. And, oh, by the way, you also have to play in the rec league two or three times a week. And, and you see how your life can get caught up in these things and have a lot of fun and emotion. And um, that, that's what's keeping us busy. Uh, right now, but it's a lot of fun and exciting that we've seen so many, I've seen so many clients go through it, you know, with their son or their daughter, with whatever activities they're doing, um, that you really, your whole family gets into it. So it's, it's exciting for us to be able to follow along. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, with that, we went a little over this time, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up. We will have another episode. I think next month we will likely be doing an interview, but we'll more to follow. And thanks again for tuning in. Thank you, everybody.